the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And in addition to my JD and certification, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation law and a master of the laws of intellectual property law. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, and my life's observations, but especially my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice some related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and, of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last nearly 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat, and I always will be one, and you know, I also helped create another one with my former spouse who was always also in the military. I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizens, soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines, uh, and, and their families in our less than patriotic capital-based system, especially after uh, these individuals and their families separate from the service. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. You know, I was raised by a dad who gave back big time to this country via his service in the military. And, you know, he told me that I, too, had a duty to give back to my community and to our society as a whole and even to the universe through a form of service of my own choosing in return for the great gifts that God had given me. You know, I believed him then, and I still believe him now. And on top of having a great father committed to helping steer me in the right direction as I was preparing to leave his nest, I had the great fortune to 
both know and spend a lot of time with and actually became great friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived the great four economic challenges of the 20th century, the Great Depression, World War II and its, all its privations, and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today. And because these wonderful women helped raise me and always loved me and shared with me the stories of their grandparents who raised and loved them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and continuing respect for these women who were always with me in spirit, urging me on, along with my late father, that when the situation is right, through my current chosen form of service, that is to say practicing and also speaking and writing about the law, that I'm sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of women and seniors and the disabled who unfortunately more and more find themselves the targets of and unfortunately the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of disabled adult and elder financial abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more probably than not the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect and or reclaim and or rehabilitate your or your family's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help. I believe you need, if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets, but especially your debt. Well, I listened to or re-listened to the show that I aired last week, and I thought that I should focus in on that topic uh, with a little bit more clarity. So what the topic was, what are the components of the employee retention tax credit, and included in that, what are the eligibility requirements, the time periods, and the amount of credit that it covers, and the reason why the Internal Revenue Service has shut down the credit application process. Well, the short answer is that the employee retention tax credit is and remains available to employers who experienced a full or partial suspension of their operations due to either a governmental order to shut down their businesses or where they experienced a significant decline in their gross receipts if they didn't shut down or both. The credit is equal to a percentage of the qualified wages paid to 
employees during the eligibility period with a cap as to the amount of wages that can be taken into account. Now, the Employee Retention Tax Credit was created as part of the Coronavirus Aid and Economic Security Act of 2020, also known as the CARES Act, and it was designed to incentivize employers to keep employees on their payrolls during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, according to the applicable law, found at what I take great creative license on this show to compare to the Ten Commandments, and I call it the Big Book of Man-Made U.S. Laws, and in the 2025 edition of the U.S. Code and its supplements, it divides our primary areas of law into 50 chapters or titles, including Title 11 that we talk about quite a bit here on this show, dealing with the bankruptcy code. Um, And uh, Title 26, the applicable one here, entitled Internal Revenue. So the applicable uh, code title is Title 26, United States Code, Section 3134. And that section explained that the employee retention tax credit is available to employers who experienced a full or partial suspension of operations due to a government order or who experienced a significant decline in their gross receipts. Now, the credit at its initial uh, implementation was equal to 50% of the qualified wages paid to Uh, an employer's employees after March 12, 2020, but before January 1, 2021, up to $10,000 in wages for each employee for all the calendar quarters. The credit was extended and expanded by the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, which increased the credit rate up to 70% of the qualified wages and reduced the required decrease in gross receipts down from 50% to 20%. So the maximum amount of each eligible employee for his or her employee was $26,000 for each eligible employee. Now, the IRS has issued guidance clarifying that an employee may be considered to have a full or partial suspension of operations due to a government order if the employer's suppliers were unable to make deliveries or critical goods or materials due to a governmental order. Additionally, the IRS has clarified the impact of the credit on mergers and the acquisitions of new businesses. The IRS has stopped processing new employee retention tax credits due to its concern about fraudulent claims. Now, according to one analysis, the IRS has rejected 20,000 claims and has initiated hundreds of investigations into potentially fraudulent claims. 
So when we come back, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the elements of the employee retention tax credit and why we all need to know about it and its impacts on our economy. But first, we'll take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As we continue today's discussion by digging a little bit deeper into the elements of the employee retention tax credit and why we all need to know about it and its impact on our economy. Now, I'm providing this information because, as I said, I re-listened to last week's show where I introduced the subject by jumping right into the fact that last month the Internal Revenue Service informed the public that any employers who receive this popular pandemic-related tax credit can return 80% of the money and escape most scrutiny on the topic from the agency. However, and while the information I provided last week was correct, I believe my presentation lacked the context needed to help us all gain a you know, a better uh, overview of the big picture. So let's start at the beginning. As I found on the United States Department of Treasury's website, which is located at treasury.gov forward slash policy dash issues forward slash coronavirus forward slash about the CARES Act. The employee retention tax credit was created as part of the Coronavirus Aid and Economic Security Act of 2020 and the Coronavirus Act Relief and Economic Security Act (laughs) uh, and the Coronavirus Response and Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. Again, these are all found in our big books of, of law under uh, Title 26 that deals with the internal um, revenue, Internal Revenue Service, the Treasury, and things uh, all focused on how we, uh, we as a country, generate income and what we do with it. And these acts were designed by Congress, and they were implemented by the Department of the Treasury, which is a subunit, a department of the executive branch, to provide fast and direct economic assistance to American workers, families, small businesses, and industry in general. Now, the CARES Act implemented a variety of programs to address the issues related to the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. The Consolidated Appropriations Act continued many of these programs by adding new phases to it, new allocations, and new guidelines to address issues related to the continuation of the pandemic. Now, the CARES Act was passed by Congress on March 25, 2020, and signed into law by the President on March 27, 2020. And the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 was passed by Congress on December 21, 2020, and signed into law on December 27, 2020. In essence, the Employee Retention Act tax credit was 
designed to incentivize employers to keep employees on the payroll, on their payroll during the COVID-19 pandemic. And according to the applicable law, again, found at Title 26, and, and that's entitled uh, Internal Revenue, and that the applicable law is Title 26, United States Code, Section 3134, and it explains that the employee retention t- tax credit is in- available to employers who experience full or partial suspension of their operations due to a government order or who experience a significant decline in their gross receipts. Now, the credit was initially established to equal 50% of the qualified wages paid to the employee during the uh, test period, that is to say between March 12, 2020, and on or before January 1, 2021, up to $10,000 in wages for each employee for all the quarters that were contained in that time period. And then uh, Congress saw that more needed to be done, so they increased the percentage that could be paid and decreased the amount of um, loss that the individual uh, uh, business had to have suffered. Now, it was available, again, the key issue was you could, um, you were eligible as a business for this tax credit if the reason that your business had to shut down was due to a governmental order, and I think if you stayed in business and you and you were losing money, that kind of speaks for itself. The rub here is what is the definition of a government order? And, you know, and as I shared with you last week, to obtain this tax credit. The IRS has to believe that your business was shut down due to a governmental order. So what if you didn't get the governmental order and there was a proxy that you used? The IRS says that's not good enough, and the IRS has started auditing uh, individuals who took it advantage in their perception of this um, tax credit by not um, having a governmental order. Again, my source material for bringing this to your attention is an internal memoranda from the Office of the Chief Counsel of the Internal Revenue Service to the subtending agencies within that agency. And they're basically come to the conclusion that um, you guys, or if you took the money, you got the money, you need to know that if the basis of the order that you put was the um, a proxy, and the proxy that was used was OSHA, uh, which was telling folks that they needed to implement ventilation measures and, you know, distancing measures and other things to act as a prophylactic to keep the coronavirus from spreading, that's not good enough. The IRS says that that fails. So the IRS's argument, which is detailed in the memo that I made reference to, is the latest sign of the taxing agency's tough line on audits to individual employers who took advantage of this employee retention tax credit because the IRS has released $230 
billion dollars towards this credit, and that's triple the estimated amount. And they say that's because a cottage industry of firms have popped up to help employees claim the credit, whether they are actually entitled to the credit or not. So the IRS says fraud and ineligible claims are running rampant, and it's now giving its auditors the roadmap for denying claims and also coming after individuals and businesses for refunds and penalties of all kinds. In sum, an employer cannot simply reference pre-existing OSHA standards to claim the entitlement to these tax credits. As such, the IRS has stopped processing new earned um, uh, employee retention tax credit claims due to concerns about fraudulent claims, specifically where taxpayer credit applications are using the Occupational Safety and Health Administration guidelines as a proxy that during the pandemic encouraged employers to implement ventilation, physical distancing, and other prophylactic measures designed to inhibit the spread of uh, COVID-19 as a proxy for the required actual government shutdown orders, such as where the city and county of San Francisco issued its initial actual shutdown order entitled Local Emergency Declaration of the Health Officer and denominated as C-1901 on March 6, 2020. And if you live in the city and county or you want to see examples of these um, uh, orders, there's a complete list of all of the orders and directives issued by San Francisco's chief health officer related to COVID-19, including the termination of the declaration of a local health emergency by that health officer. And they have all of them in one place in an archive that you could find at sfbos.org forward slash health slash orders and directives, for example. So, again, if your firm filed the required tax documents indicating that your business met the eligible requirements and then obtained a tax refund and you now have concerns that you may not have actually met those eligibility requirements, I urge you to check with your trusted tax professional as opposed to somebody who might have assisted you in getting these, uh, this, this money and make sure that you would obtain these funds to haul. And if not, you should consider taking the IRS up on its No Questions Asked Amnesty Program and voluntarily return 80% of the tax refund. Otherwise, you may find the taxing authority will be looking over your shoulder for the next few years and demanding that you reimburse the total amount. So we're going to leave it there for now, but as always, in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including staying on the right side of the Internal Revenue Service. So, till next time, take care. Please take care. Uh, and here's to a better 2024. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. 
Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to SelwynWhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.